Welcome to Le Rendez-vous. My name is Garance Doré and I'm a writer with so many stories to tell and ideas to share that I created this special moment to talk about all the things that are going on in our lives. So come, let's spend a moment together. Le Rendez-vous is brought to you by Doré, the skincare line I co-created, wanting to bring more simplicity and efficacy to our lives. Check out the end of the episode for a special code just for you, the Rendezvous listeners. I've been asked many times to talk about the way I eat, and many times I've refrained from it because I'm the opposite of a role model. I've had a complicated relationship with food and with my body ever since I was a child. And because of that, I decided that it would be better if I stayed mostly silent about my weight journey. But now that I think about it, maybe the fact that I don't have any lessons to give and just a story to share can be interesting because it's not going to be one of these I found myself journey that can sound a bit disingenuous or unattainable. I will sell you a weight loss pill at the end of this episode though. Just kidding. That's why I decided to talk to you about my weight, my health journey in, I think, what will be probably two episodes. Today, I'm going to talk to you about my emotional journey, which I think is definitely the backbone of it all. And in the next episode, I'll tell you about how I eat and more specifically health related things. I thought it would be interesting. I will talk about it as I've always done, very candidly. And I hope that I answer some of the questions that you have asked me. So let's start. Part one, the emotional journey. At home, when I was a kid, I was always the one who would finish her place. I would eat anything, even if I didn't love it. I think there was a part of me that was a people pleaser since I was a little child. I remember some scenes very well because I have a sister who had the opposite of my temperament. I was the eldest and I was trying to be as good as I could and to never tell my mom that I didn't like something she'd made. Whereas my sister had this kind of bad character and that's what she was known for in the family. I was very quiet and easy and she was difficult and saying no when she didn't want something. And it was the same at the table. She would never finish her plates. There were thousands of things that she didn't like and she would always be fighting with my mom. And I would be the first one to finish my soup. My mother was a very healthy cook, so we did have homemade green soup every evening. And it's definitely not the thing that kids prefer, but I would eat it and I ended up loving it pretty early. Soon enough, I started finding a lot of comfort in food. It's probably something that I've had since the beginning of my life, but I definitely was very attached to food and very soon started to use it for self-soothing. I can't even remember when. It was always like that. In parallel, I was growing up in a society that really valued beauty 
And when I was a kid, I was one of these perfect looking children to whom people keep telling that they're absolutely beautiful and adorable. Since I was also a people pleaser, I think I had this ideal image as a child. But when you're a child, you don't really understand because you don't have a notion of who you are. But I remember around 10, probably, I was still a kid. And I was also living in a time when it was the big explosion of top models. And beauty was something that people were constantly talking about. And that became not only a value in society, but also something you can make money with. And I remember being very young. And you're going to laugh at this, but I was looking at my feet and I was like, "Mm, my feet are not perfect. I wonder if I could still become a top model when I'm older. And that's because people had put in my head that I was this kind of perfect beauty. Everything obviously collapsed when I became a teenager. And that was quite early. I started having my period at 11. And then in about three to four years, became a fully grown woman and couldn't control what was happening. And it was very difficult for me, specifically, I think, because I was very much a tomboy and because I developed pretty big breasts very, very early. And that got me, I wouldn't call that bullying, maybe because I didn't even know that word at that time. But definitely looks and definitely boys coming and trying to touch them at school. Things that the little child that I still was in my head had a very difficult time understanding and was very shocked at. And I remember very well because I think 13 or 14 was when I started asking my mom to get me a breast reduction. Can you believe that? Of course, thank God she said no. And I was very upset about it, but now I'm so happy that she didn't let me do it. These changes in my body started creating a completely different relationship with myself. At the same time, I remember people noticing my weight gain, something that I hadn't noticed myself. I think when we're changing as teens, we don't yet have a true relationship with our image. We have a very wild, natural relationship with our body. And adults have this completely external relationship to our body. And we were still in a time where people felt free to comment about your weight. So I remember being 15 and my music teacher telling me, hey, you might be doing too much swimming. You're getting really big in the shoulders. Maybe you should consider stopping that. I also remember people in my village, the fishermen, I was growing up in a small fisherman village, telling me, ooh, that's it, you're becoming a woman. And I felt so shocked by these remarks. I remember them, they burned so much. I remember the moment, the place where I was told that. I started hiding very early. I was maybe 13 or 14 under giant clothes. And I think The shock of what I was going through, and I'm sure all of you have gone through something like that through puberty, was so profound. It's like my body became an adult before my brain did. And I wanted to do everything I could to remain a child, but I couldn't. And of course, that's the moment when my mother chose to join all the comments and tell me that I was getting fat and that it was time to do something. 
And it was a different time. It was the 80s. And the way to talk about weight was very different. And I did have a mother who had had weight issues all of her life. And she was terrified that I would have the same thing. So as kids, there was always great healthy food at home, but no comfort food. My mother would never bake a cake. And if there were any cookies at home, it was the very boring tea cookies that kids don't like and that nobody wants to eat. There was already a sort of love-hate relationship with food. On the one hand, we were eating very healthy. My father was a chef. He's an amazing cook. And my mom is too. And on the other hand, it was the Jane Fonda time. And my mom was at the gym constantly. And there was no really good food at home. And I remember starting to develop very weird habits. I would buy food outside and either eat it hiding somewhere on the way home, or I would bring it home, hide it in my bag, and then close the door to my bedroom and read as I was eating. And that was comfort and self-soothing to me. And those are habits that I've kept until this day. And I might have something to do, and then I'll stop boring you with the history of my teens, but that might have something to do with the fact that I had a very loving, very embracing grandmother called Mina that I adored, that raised me a lot, that was Moroccan and that was constantly in her kitchen cooking me Moroccan foods and specifically one cake anytime I was coming to visit her. She would make me mint tea with all the ritual that some of you might know. It takes forever to make it, and there is a ton of sugar involved in that. And she would bake me a cake, and we would sit there and love and just be together, and that would be a refuge for me. She would give me so much of the love that my mother at that time wasn't really able to give me because she was going through so many things. So to this day for me, self-soothing is buying myself a piece of cake and opening a book and making myself some tea and just sitting in the corner and I feel better right away. Meanwhile, if you were wondering, my brother and sister who were much more resistant at the table never had any weight issues. They grew up to have a very simple and healthy relationship with food. They eat when they're hungry. They don't eat when they're not. And I'm endlessly jealous of the simplicity of their relationship with food. By the time I was 15 or 16, a lot of my fate had been decided in a way. And that's why I wanted to tell you about all these details that kind of set the stage for the rest of my life. A lot of the things that I was told at that time, a lot of the habits that I started developing, a lot of the outlook I had on myself was defined by this time and this chaos that I felt towards my body. There was the shock of discovering that I was far from a supermodel and that I was just a normal teen. There was the disappointment that I feel my mother felt towards me. There was the weird self-soothing, hiding type of habits that I had developed. And of course, very soon after, there were the diets. 
I think my mom was the first one to try to put me on a diet and I was very rebellious with her towards that time. So that never worked. And the problem is that because it didn't work, creating a lot of conflicts between us with open fights, pretty brutal. And I think sometimes she probably did say things that she would regret. I'm not going to say them here because they were harsh and she was angry, but some of these things burned really deeply and it was very hard for me. So she was never able to put me on a diet and I actually wasn't really able to put myself on a diet. You would think that with that background, I was set up for absolute disaster in the future in my weight and health journey. But what is very funny and good is that my complicated relationship with food and with my body that was slowly forming was met with my absolute lack of discipline and my hunger for life and for food and for delicious things. I am a Taurus. I'm a very tactile, sensual person. And I think this part of me saved me from any extremes I could have ever met. Until much later, I was never really able to follow a diet, even less a crash diet, even less an extreme diet. It's true that I was young and that it was very easy to just stop eating bread and drinking for a week and I would get back to my weight. And that I had accepted that I was never going to be somebody that's skinny like I was when I was a child, but that my new body actually was pretty good. And I didn't need to make much effort to keep it where I liked. So for most of my 20s, it was quite easy, actually. Believe me, I was always very shy on the beach. I was always feeling like I wasn't perfect. There was always this thing that I think probably a lot of you have felt. I always felt like I had a belly. I always felt like I had too much this and not enough of that. I think that's always been a thing in society. There are trends and shapes for bodies and I often joke that my body is very much a body from the 80s. I'm a little bit like Stephanie de Monaco if you will. I have these very athletic big shoulders, narrow hips type of body, big breast. But at the time when I started being interested in fashion it was the opposite body that was very trendy. It was Kate Moss and the grungy type of girls and of course, it made me feel like I was imperfect, but I was always okay. It was never dramatic. And that I think is one of the most lucky parts. It's the fact that I'm just not an extreme person. I was always more interested in things that were outside of myself, starting with food, but also just being with my friends, being out, having fun. And those were the things that were more important to me than the way I looked. And in that, I had found a sense of balance and I was able to cope with the not so healthy habits I had caught in my childhood because truly I wasn't so self-obsessed. It started changing in my 30s when it became more difficult to keep my weight under control when, surprise, surprise, I started working in fashion. If you want to know more about the time of my life, you can go back to the first episodes of this podcast where I explain a little bit my trajectory. I'm not going to try to explain to you the obsession for thinness and skinniness that is in fashion. 
I was projected from my 20s where I was living in the south of France with absolutely no pressure to look one way or another, with friends of every color and shape and size, to fashion where not only is thinness one of the most important values, nobody will talk about it, but we all see the photos still to this day. And also a new life where people would be looking at me and taking my photo. And that was very disturbing to me. It fed into the self-obsession and the self-loathing that I had been able to keep at bay for all of my life. I started suffering from it to a point that I had never felt before. I started feeling incredibly self-conscious. I would never fit in the clothes that were lent to me. I would feel judged very often. And I think I actually was. It wasn't just my imagination. And I remember at the fashion shows, listening to the editors kind of hushing about the crash diet that they had done right before fashion week. Some of them would go on retreats, on fasting. It was quite incredible for all the women that were not naturally skinny. Fashion can be quite difficult. And it's not just because of self-image. It's also that the clothes that are made are quite difficult to wear if you're not a size zero. And that's a theme that was a very big one throughout my years in fashion. Once again, my love for life and my love for being outside of myself, I was more interested in what was going on on the outside, what I was looking at at fashion shows, the photos I was taking of other people, than I was obsessed about myself. But I could feel that the noise in my head, the self-loathing was becoming more present, more deep, and more painful. My body was also changing. I was moving through my 30s and it was much more difficult to lose weight. I had moved to the United States and uh, gained the usual weight that French women gain when they get to the US. And I'd love to talk about that in detail if you want in another episode. And that certainly didn't help my case. But again, impossible for me to do a diet. My 30s is also when I started having the first trouble with my health. I'll talk to you about all that in part two. It's such a big subject. And to sum up that time in fashion, let's just say that it was very difficult, that sometimes I thought I was going crazy, that it probably strained my growth because I felt inadequate a lot of the time, because I felt like I couldn't look as good as the other girls, because it triggered so much insecurity inside of me. It was... It was as if that insecurity that I had gathered through my childhood and that I had conquered with a good and simple lifestyle was right there waiting for me when I got in fashion. There were a few episodes where I touched with my finger what absolute disaster can be. I remember, for example, one day being in Australia for a long period of time, I had a lot of work to do. I was a photographer at that time and I had campaigns that I was shooting. And so I stayed there over the holidays, which is always a very difficult time, isn't it? To be far away from your home. And I remember feeling very depressed and very alone and focusing all of that pain on my eating and the fact that I was fat. It was Christmas, so it was summer in Australia. 
and I couldn't stand looking at myself in a swimsuit. And of course, it was ridiculous. But I'm talking to you about the emotional side and what I was feeling and these flare-ups of self-loathing that I couldn't control and that were so difficult for me. And I remember this moment very well because as many of you had trouble with food, when you go through these things, often there'll be a sense of revenge inside of you. Something will kind of switch and you'll order the worst room service with fries and cake and all the things that you're not supposed to eat. And then you eat it and then you feel disgusting. And I had never had this type of trouble. And there for, I think it was a week or two in Australia, I was that girl. I was having bulimia. I don't, I don't even know exactly what it is. I never put a, a label on it. But I understood all these women that are talking about this sense of pain, of self-obsession, of feeling like a prisoner inside your your pain and your emotions. And that's how I know that it's not just a question of discipline. This type of trouble are real mental health issues. And I, I hope that in this episode, I'm able to talk about it with all the compassion and all the love that I feel for the people who are going through such problems and such extremes. I remember very well, because I don't know if you've noticed, but to me, food and reading were always better together. I would buy the cake and read at the same time. Maybe it was a book, maybe it was a magazine, there was always something like that. And even in the depth of my solitude and my obsession in Australia, I did the same thing. I remember staying at that hotel, going down, buying some food probably, and going to the bookshop and buying myself a book. And the book that I bought at that time was a book by Janine Roth called Women, Food and God, something like that. I'll put it in the show notes. And it really helped me at the time. It was a very emotional, philosophical type of book about the suffering that I was experiencing. It really helped me. And it put me on the path of intuitive eating, throwing away all the diets, one of the tenets of our philosophy, if I remember well, to drop all the rules and let yourself eat whatever you want for as long as you need until your need for food and for love is gone. And I remember it really helped me for a while. It helped me get out of that crazy place where I had found myself this Christmas time in Australia. But it also switched me on to something that I think is as dangerous as obsessive eating. And that is magic thinking. And I think it's something that I've always been a little bit fragile to, a little bit sensitive to this magical thinking. And it's that idea that has made people millions and that has been sold for hundreds of years that one day you'll fix your relationship with food and it will be easy and you'll never have weight problems again. And that's something that because of my lack of discipline and my love for food and for eating, I'd, I'd always wanted. I also had seen so many people who had a very easy relationship with food around me. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it, right? If they can just say, oh, I'm not hungry anymore. If they can just say, oh, I'm a bit tight in my pants. I'm going to stay away from bread for two weeks. 
it was right there. Why couldn't I do it? And the problem with magical thinking and all these books that we are sold that say that you can fix your relationship with food forever, I'm not saying it's not true for a few people, but mostly it just lets us in limbo, waiting for it to happen. And in the present, nothing is actually fixed. It's like you have that carrot. You're like, well, this book didn't help me fix my relationship with food, but maybe the next one will help. Well, this diet didn't really help, right? I went right back to where I was. Maybe the next one will help. Oh, maybe this therapist, maybe this method, maybe this new way of thinking. And you basically spend your whole life waiting for the magical solution that will take your problems away. I have never fixed my relationship with food through intuitive eating. I'm not intuitive when it comes to eating. Food is too important for me. It brings me too much pleasure. My intuition is to eat more. My intuition is to have a cake when I don't feel good. And I know that in the intuitive realm, they would tell you, well, that's good then. Eat the cake if you need it. But they don't see the results. Anytime I've tried to do that, I gained so much weight. And the self-loathing would just flare up. I wouldn't fit in my clothes and I just didn't feel like myself. And those are such complicated emotions to talk about. Not feeling like yourself feeling like you're in this waiting room of life. I tried intuitive eating and it didn't work. And when that didn't work, I tried accepting myself the way I was. And that is another mindfuck that I don't even want to take you in. Because to me, it created even more self-loathing. Because now the way of thinking was like, you're such a bad person because you can't love yourself the way you are. And all these things made my brain explode. And it may be working for some people and it may be working for some of you, but I'm just trying to be honest. It just didn't work. There is something that I've, I think I've talked about in my newsletter. And it's that when I am 15 kilos heavier than I am now, which I've been over the past few years, my body becomes uncomfortable. I go to yoga and I can't do the same movements because my belly is in the way. And my sense of comfort in my body might be completely different than somebody else's. But when my legs touch and when my belly gets in the way of my yoga, it's just too hard for me to accept myself. And so now through all the literature that comes around these I was putting myself in danger of going crazy. It was a complete minefield for me. And I think that pushing these injunctions to the max and really going to the boundaries of where my mental health would be impacted, thankfully, brought me back home. Well, it's true that I left fashion and now my relationship with myself is much more intimate and real. And it's much easier. And you might say, Garance, you could have been stronger and be proud of yourself and bring it on. And I, I don't know, all these things that we say to people today. And to that, I will answer, well, I wasn't. I just wasn't strong enough. And I had to leave. And of course, I didn't leave fashion just because of that. 
But is that okay for me to say that I wasn't strong enough to not fall prey to the injunctions and the pressure that society has created for women since forever? I just wasn't strong enough. And going to all these extremes and these minefields for me, one day I realized something that actually, I think, saved me. And this is not magical thinking. It's just very simple. I was like, you'll always have a complicated relationship with food, a complicated relationship with your body, and you have to accept it, and you have to look at it lovingly, and you have to look at all the events of your life, and forgive yourself, and forgive your mother, and forgive society, and forgive your weakness, and forgive your strength everything and just take yourself as you are and start from there that's it and bring yourself to a place where you feel healthy and happy simply and that's where i am now i try to keep my weight under control in very simple ways that we've known forever which is to eat less When I need my cake and myself soothing, I'll do it. But if I do that, I'll try to eat soup in the evening. I try to exercise a little bit. Sometimes I don't. Like right now, I've felt really tired for a few months and I haven't exercised and I'll slowly get back to it. I know that it's not about being perfect all the time. And I know that I always have to watch myself. And I'm fine with it. I have a few tools, I count my calories, I weigh myself. Some people say it's horrible, unhealthy to not do that, that it's the worst thing you can do. I don't believe it. It works for me. I eat mostly healthy. I've always done that, actually. My problem was never about eating junk food. It's more about eating a lot. I accept myself the way I am. And I accept myself with all my flaws and all my limitations, I accept the fact that this right now is probably the healthiest I'll ever be in my relationship with food. And if that's the case, I'm quite happy that way. And it takes effort, and it will always take effort for me, more effort than my sister who stayed healthy and thin all her life without having to struggle much. But that's just who I am, and that's fine. And I think the acceptance should come from there. To me, that is true acceptance. It's something that comes from deep down on the inside and that makes you feel at peace with yourself. And that's why I wanted to share that today with you. You probably have a completely different relationship with yourself, but the idea is just to make peace with that. And then in my case, Once I had let go of the craziness and the magical thinking and the injunctions of accepting myself the way I am or of becoming the plus size hero that I'll never be courageous enough to be or of being extremely skinny, all those things, then I was able to adjust my lifestyle because inside of me I was at peace and I know who I was. And I wasn't constantly trying to apologize or to fix or to heal, but instead able to live today in all my contradictions and my humanity. Thank you so much for listening. 
and I'll post part two where I'll talk about what I eat and about my health very soon. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week and I'm sending you love. Le rendez-vous is brought to you by Doré. Doré's latest launch, La Micellaire, is a botanical micellar cleansing water that doesn't require rinsing. Minimize bathroom time and maximize outdoor time with our super simple routine. Use code PODCAST10 for 10% of your first order. Thank you for listening to Le Rendez-vous. If you want to know more about me, find out about my newsletter and my community. Find me on Instagram at GarenceDoré or at my website at garence.world. And well, if you'd like to find out how to spell that crazy name, just check out the show notes. Until next time, sending you love.